0: This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. Juice is the company behind Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data. Juicebox is a platform designed to deliver easy-to-read, interactive data applications and dashboards. It turns your valuable analysis into a story for everyday decision makers. For more information on Juicebox or to schedule a demo, visit juiceanalytics.com. Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabisch. I'm here with Cole Nussbaumer Naflik, author of the new <laughs> book, Storytelling with Data, longtime blogger at a website of the same name. Cole, welcome to the show. Very excited to have you.
1: Thanks for having me, John. Excited Very, to be here.
0: Yeah, excited to talk about this new book. I have a um, fresh uh, new copy, only came out like two days ago. still has that new, yeah, book, that yeah. new book smell. Nice. Um, So maybe for those who don't know you, you can talk a little bit about yourself. And then why don't you just jump in and tell us um, why you wrote the book, who you wrote it for, all those good juicy details.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I like to think of what I do as telling stories with data, and I've done that throughout my career over the past uh, decade and some change. Uh, a number of different organizations in a lot of different roles. Uh, was at Google for a number of years on the People Analytics team there. And one of the areas I've always been drawn to is visualizing data as a way to increase understanding and help drive action. Uh, And so I actually developed a course at Google on data visualization and taught that for a number of years around different offices. uh, And then started realizing that there's a need that expands beyond that. And uh, so eventually left Google and have spent the past few years primarily teaching workshops for organizations and teams who want to become more effective when it comes to communicating with data. And what I came to recognize after working with hundreds of different teams at many different organizations is... The skills needed in this area are universal. They're fundamental. They aren't limited to any specific role or any specific industry, rather, pretty much anybody could use lessons and become more effective when it comes to communicating with data, both visualizing data effectively as well as telling a story uh, with the data that they want to communicate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so over time, the lessons that I teach in my workshops have codified those and uh, ended up turning them into a book, uh, which uh, goes into a lot more depth in terms of uh, examples and tips and insight into my personal data visualization storytelling with data design thought process
0: right so it's a great book Um, sort of walk through how to declutter your graphs how to different types of graphs how to uh, focus people's attention do you have Uh, a sort of basic, like, top three, top five, top ten things that people should consider when they're first... I I, I get the sense that the book is sort of for that first-time person, or maybe sort of now sort of getting their feet wet. Is there, like, the top few things that people really need to keep in mind when they're making their, their visualizations?
1: Yeah. And I'd say that the, the book for me goes beyond the getting your feet wet. I mean, it's certainly, it's written in a way that's meant to be accessible, accessible for anybody who needs to communicate with data, whether that's on a daily basis or on a less frequent basis. Um, but for me, the lessons really are fundamental and they apply whether you're just starting out visualizing data or, you know, if you've been doing it for 10 years um, uh, and because the lessons are really about thinking about your audience and, you know, when, when we're communicating with data, everything we're doing is for that audience. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the lessons are about keeping that audience in mind and designing with them in mind, really to put yourself in a situation uh, to be successful when it comes to communicating with data. Uh, so when it comes to specific lessons, uh, I think the number one thing, you know, if I had to uh, really scale it down to uh, one or two, uh, one would be being thoughtful and intentional when it comes to the use of color think for me uh, you know seeing a lot of examples from different organizations uh, that's one place where i think people don't really think about it too much they think about you know they either don't think about color at all and let their tools choose their color for them or they end up becoming these sort of colorful um you know maybe pretty but not so effective visuals um for me using color sparingly and strategically is one of your most powerful tools for really directing your audience's attention where you want them to pay it. Um, So one bit of low-hanging fruit when it comes to tips would be just be intentional and thoughtful when it comes to the use of color. I go into that in a lot of depth uh, and talk about specific considerations when it comes to color in the book.
0: Yeah, I, I, so I want to talk a little bit about color because you, you do spend a bunch of time talking about it and the, the examples in the book are great. You know, here's a terrible yeah. rainbow colored thing or a black and white thing and ooh, look, if I just add you know, if I just change this from black and white to gray and blue or from rainbow to shades of blue, you can really highlight yeah. the different things. And you also do what I find is a key with, the, with a lot of people that I work with is you make the point that you don't have to be a designer. You don't have to, you know, be an MFA to right. think about design. So, when you're working with people and as you are writing the book, what are the sort of thoughts and 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 strategies people should take who are not designers who want to use color um, or some of these other design aspects, but particularly color that they should be thinking of when they're when they're making their visualizations?
1: Yeah. I mean, when it comes to color specifically, one strategy that I'll often employ is to start by making everything gray. So you basically start by pushing, everything to the background, and then pick one or maybe two colors that you want to use. And when it comes to which colors you use, you want to think about things like what tone am I wanting to set with my data visualization or with the broader communication in which that data visualization sits? And how can you use color to reinforce that tone? Or are there brand colors that it makes sense to fold in? Uh, And then really only using color in those places where you want to draw attention or focus your audience's attention. I think when it comes to the field of design, there are a lot of concepts that we can borrow when it comes to designing for data visualization in particular. One of my favorite examples, and it's one that I talk about briefly in the book, is the OXO uh, kitchen gadgets, mm-hmm. um, right? These are things like vegetable peelers and garlic presses and spatulas. And if you lay them out on a counter, they're designed in such a way that makes you want to f- pick them up in the way that they're intended to be used. And we don't often give thought to things like that, right, of actually how clever that is and how that really takes into account the needs of the user. And you want to think about how you can do something similar when it comes to visualizing data. So when it comes to visualizing data, we don't have tangible things we can do. It's all visual. So then you want to think about how can you leverage visual cues to make it really obvious to your audience how they should use that data, what they should look at uh, in what order um, and and so forth and really keeping the audience or the user in mind and designing with them uh, in mind.
0: Right, right. Um, The book also talks a a lot about in a a couple of different places, it talks a lot about um, changing the approach that an organization may have towards visualization or individuals in an organization who want to change the way their group or organization approaches visualization. So can you talk a little bit about Um, What organizations um, should or should not try when it comes to improving the way they, they present their data?
1: Sure. I mean, I think broadly, you know, recognizing when there are good examples, uh, whether it's within the company or external to the organization, to say, you know, here's an effective example of visualizing data or telling a story with data and really promoting that sort of culture um, and working to spread the word within. Um, you know, certainly uh, one way to signal importance um, to people at an organization is to provide uh, ways for people to develop expertise, right? So um, inviting in external experts or building that competency uh, within the organization um, through training or through um, focus uh, in other ways on you know, making it important. So, it's always been Interesting to me because if you think of the entire analytical process, you typically start off with a question or hypothesis, Mm -hmm. then you go gather some data, then you clean the data, then you analyze the data, and at that point it's really easy to just stick the data in a graph and call it done. But that graph is the only part of the entire process that your audience ever sees. So for me, that graph deserves at least as much attention as the rest of the process. And so I think uh, organizations recognizing that and sort of promoting that idea and recognizing when good work is done can help change the culture when it comes to uh, having folks feel like they have the freedom to spend time on this Mm -hmm. part of the process.
0: Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. These these you know data is becoming more and more important to more and more people, and obviously visualization follows along. And it's interesting to see how many organizations are struggling with how to change these these cultures. So, um, and you make the point I think in the book yeah. of sort of improving the training, improving the skill sets of people, sort of letting that that bubble up. Um,
1: Yeah, and I think investing in internal experts um, can be a great way as well so that people who feel less skilled have somebody internally to whom they can turn for questions and feedback uh, is a great way to sort of start grassroots efforts in this area.
0: Right. Now, the other part of the book that I found interesting was um, the discussion you have about reading in a Z pattern. So we start in sort of the top left, Well, I I would presume, especially in in English-speaking countries, uh, cultures, yeah. you start in the top left, you sort of move along the title to the right, and then you sort of move down to the left and then and then along the bottom. So you talk a lot about that and you actually tell a story in here about showing one of the graphs to your husband and how he didn't start, you know, in the same place where you did in, in the visualization, yeah. which is a great part. So how do you think about creating a visualization where people may not start in the exact place where you start or where you expect them to start, or maybe they don't you know, maybe they're, for whatever reason, they're not reading in that Z pattern. How, how do you sort of manage this yeah. idea that people aren't starting or going in a pattern in which you might expect?
1: Yeah, so I think the thing to keep in mind is that it's, people will typically read in that Z pattern that you described, starting at the top left and doing zigzagging Zs across the page or the screen, uh, when there aren't other visual cues present. And so you want to think about then if you are providing other visual cues, those are things like color and size, um, uh, enclosure, you know, other things that draw attention so that they're, you know, they draw it away from that Z, then you want to make sure that that's drawing attention to the right spots. So in the particular example uh, that you referenced that I talk about, you know, that, hey, my husband didn't start there. (laughs) uh, I talk about how I start at the top left because that's where the title is and that's where the axis titles were and where the details of the graph were and sort of, you know, I, I know this stuff. So I right. when I look at a graph, look at the details first so that I know what I'm reading by the time I get there uh, and then proceed to sort of analyze the data visually versus he went right to the data. But the point uh, that the data that he went to was the important part of the data because that's what was highlighted. Right. Um, so I think in that instance, both ways work. Uh, and, and the meta point is to be thoughtful about how your audience might look at your visual. And there's an awesome way to test that, which is close your eyes and then just look at your visual and notice where your eyes go first. I and mean, if you think that might change depending on the person, hand it to somebody else and have them do this exercise. Uh, because oftentimes where your eyes land first or where you know your colleagues eyes land first that's where your audience's eyes will land first as well so you just want to make sure that's where you want it to be
0: yeah no I think that's I think that's uh, a great uh, piece of advice and strategy that that everyone should use when they're when they're creating sort of turn your back to it and turn back around and see where you are. Where mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we don't have a ton of time, but I want to hit um, maybe the biggest uh, um, question I have, or discussion point really, which is the whole ethos of the book, which is storytelling with data. Um, yes! Because as you, are, as you are well aware, being one of the leaders in the field, this, this idea of stories and telling stories with data is, uh, kicks up a lot of um, emotions. Um, yeah, From people. Um, and for me, you know, you, you sort of motivate the chapter on storytelling with the with the story of Little Red Riding Hood. And so when mm-hmm. I just said those four words, every listener just had a picture of a red cloak just appeared in, in everyone's mind and i I'm not sure that's the same I get the same thing with with
1: telling stories with data. Well, so that's what you want to try to tap into right that yeah. that immediate memory so and the the pairing of the visual with the verbal um, and and I think if we can figure out a way to take, stories like Red Riding Hood and apply those concepts when it comes to our data. It helps us to make that data not just facts on a slide that are going to be forgotten, you know, the next hour or the next day, but something that can stick with our audience. Um, So for me, that means... Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say for me... Yeah. The the things that you can take from stories like Red Riding Hood are the fact that there's a plot and twists and an ending. And I think absolutely we can leverage those components when it comes to telling stories with data as well, right? Where your plot becomes the context for your audience, sort of setting the stage for what they need to know to be in the right frame of mind to take in and what you're going to give them. And then the twists, what's interesting about the data and what it shows, right? How can you take them through, uh, you know, whether it's a character's, Journey or uh, a suite of characters uh, and how that plays out over time or over another construct. Uh, and then the ending, which for me is usually about the call to action and sort of sending your audience off ready to act or ready to do something with this new understanding that you've created through the story that you've told with data.
0: Right, see, so for me, the challenge is, or, or, or my hang up maybe, is that. When I'm told the story of you know Little Red Riding Hood, we'll just stick with that. It's Little Red Riding Hood. I can picture her. I picture the wolf. I picture uh, the woodsman. I picture the grandmother. Like there's people involved, and mm-hmm. you know, someone says tell a story with your financial data line chart thing. I don't. I'm not sure I can get that same emotional connection is that i'm not sure that's what I think, about. I think then
1: we have to think about how do you characterize how can you characterize the components of that you know financial analysis in your example or if we think about a specific example um you know chapter eight of the book i go through one example from start to finish leveraging all of the lessons discussed in the other chapters um in that case the scenario is uh you know you're introducing a product into this uh, competitive landscape and wanting to understand, you know, what does competitor pricing look like over time? What's influenced that? How should that influence how you price your product? And so I think in a scenario like that, the characters become these other products in the competitive market. And then you can turn that into a story, right? What happens over time? What's driving that? What are consumers doing? Why are they doing it? Uh, You can create points of tension and conflict and anticipation uh, that help you to uh, hold your audience's attention as you tell the story. Uh, You can introduce resolution, right, with the introduction of your product. And and so you can play on a lot of those things that stories, in in the uh, traditional sense of the word, incorporate. Um, I think there are also opportunities to introduce stories into some of those finer points, right? Like you're talking about competitor A, totally genericized it here, but, you know, maybe you have a story about a customer who went in to, to buy this product at a certain store, and, you know, there might be actually a story within the, the broader story that you could tell that also leverages some of those concepts.
0: Yeah, so, so uh, this, this yeah, so, so the character is really each of the pieces of the graph or the visual, so each thing has become a character so that you can try to get the audience or the reader, or the user, whatever, to connect. Um, mm-hmm. The way you mm-hmm. would with the woodsman or the, or the grandmother. Yeah, that's a really interesting way. A really interesting way to think of it. Think
1: it's one Sorry. way to think of it. Yeah.
0: Uh, um, the other thing that I talk about with 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 or recommend to to people, especially when they're giving presentations, is to tell stories about themselves or um, yes, and not necessarily, um, a, not necessarily a story that is directly. Related to the research or the presentation. I mean, not so far afield, but it could be a story about why yeah. the person became interested, or what they learned, or something like that. Um, now, that yeah. may not may not apply when you're making a graph. But do you? No, do it's you,
1: such an interesting concept, though, right? Because they, I mean, that is a way to connect with your audience, yeah. which makes them then more likely to listen to everything else you're going to say. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny because storytelling seems to come so naturally to some people and I was always in awe of that Uh, and what I found because that's one of the things personally that I've been working on is how do I insert or um, you know weave in more stories uh, when I'm delivering content or delivering workshops Uh, and I find you know for me personally if you look behind the scenes I gave a talk at Google yesterday and included some stories from Google on that. And I talked through those to myself sitting in my office out loud, like, 10 or 20 times probably, right, to make it feel natural in the delivery. Um, So just an example that even if it doesn't feel natural to you, you can get there with practice uh, because it doesn't feel natural if you don't consider yourself a natural storyteller. I mean, I spent years behind a computer working with numbers (laughs) Um, because that's that's what was comfortable for me. Um so getting up in front of an audience and telling stories is well outside of what I would consider my um natural wheelhouse. <laughs> right yeah but but uh,
0: you know I do it. Yeah so so I I I hear this a lot so people get nervous about or I don't know, they they don't really want to tell stories because they think they're giving some professional talk about something important yeah. and they don't want to sort of add their personal uh, narrative or their or their personal piece to it, or they think that adding that personal That's piece personal is somehow... narrative
1: yeah is what people crave yeah. yeah
0: so do you have do you have ideas about how people should think about um, generating those stories? I mean, you talk a lot about in the book about the different um in the storytelling chapter in particular you talk about how to construct a story and how to think about outlining it and the, and the different types of stories that you could tell mm-hmm. but do you have um, what things do you talk about when you when you work with people about? the sorts of stories that they can construct? Are there Are there techniques or, or things that they should do uh, that they might want to try specifically to sort of build those stories up to, to develop them as they, as they work with the data?
1: You know, that would be an awesome place to um, you know spend time sort of thinking out and lining out because my process for that piece has never been so... Um, intentional, I don't think. I mean, embedding uh-huh. in, in stories is super intentional, right? That would never sort of happen naturally for sure. me. So I have to plan for that. Um, but when it comes to actually identifying the stories, you know, just for me personally, it's thinking back through, uh, you know, what experiences do I have that might lend themselves to a lesson? Or um, oftentimes the stories that I tell will be about, you know, one time I was working for this organization that did X, Y, and Z, and here's what we can learn from this scenario. So there's some stories of experience that you can draw on, um, you know, you think about a time you saw something happen that worked out unexpectedly really well, or something that didn't work well, and and how, what was learned from that um, are all sort of some techniques. But the, this is more empirical, just from me doing this myself, than um, any comprehensive list of yeah, um, yeah. what to look
0: at. So, so I wanna I wanna uh, wrap up in a minute, but I wanna I wanna sort of pivot a little bit on the storytelling because we've been talking a little bit about storytelling when you're in front of an audience, but you also do it um, in a couple of different ways in the case study section of the book, which is sort of one of the last chapters, where yeah. you take a graph and you break it up into multiple graphs so you can sort of say, you know, here's one version, you see this story, here's another version, you see this story. Um, but I think, <laughs> for, for my money, the 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 golden graph in the book is um, towards the end in, in, in the ninth chapter, Um where you take this sort of, um, I don't know if it's a complicated stacked bar chart, but it's a stacked bar chart, uh, nor, you know, goes out to 100%, and you have, you know, sort of more or less three different highlighting colors, and with each of those highlighting colors, you add these um, boxes which have a little bit of text on it. Can you talk a little bit about, about that approach of sort of combining, um, you know, you have the graph, but you're also using color and text and linking all of those pieces together?
1: Yeah, so that's an interesting one. I had to remember you mentioned that, and then I'm just now looking at the book to see which example you're talking about. Uh, Yeah, so this particular one, um, I think... For me, you asked earlier about what's the low-hanging fruit or what are some tips you find yourself giving a lot. Uh, and for me, and I talked about these at Google yesterday too, I think uh, it comes down to two primarily. I mean, There are many more lessons than that. Um, but if you do nothing else, doing these two things uh, more consistently can really have a lot of impact. And one we talked about already, was which is being intentional in your use of color. And the second is thinking about what do you want your audience to learn from this data? What do you want them to understand about it and actually putting those things into words, not assuming that somebody else looking at the same graph is going to walk away with the same conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's something you need your audience to get out of the visual, it needs to be articulated either in your voiceover, if it's a live presentation, or like in the example, you're talking about uh, figure 9.20 mm-hmm. on page 226 for anybody who's uh, referencing the book of actually putting those words on the page. Yeah. And so in the example that you see here, it's, uh, you know, drawing attention to a color Couple specific points within uh, the broader data and then having text that describes why you're drawing attention to those points. In this case I've tied the text to the data through similar use of color. So you can get there a little bit with proximity but not exactly because of the way the data is ordered here because of the progression that we needed to go through with it on prior pages. Um, yeah, so being thoughtful with use of color and really using text wisely. Now, this example in particular is too dense to put on the big screen, right? I wouldn't use this oh, right, for right. a live yes. presentation, uh, but for the audience who wasn't there for the presentation or for the takeaway that you send around afterwards, uh, you know, or if it's sent around as uh, a written report, um, not something that you're talking through live, really having those words on the graph directly becomes important. Yeah, I mean, it really tells... Uh, and the, the words in this case were...
0: No, I was to say, it, it really bad. tells the whole... Well, even though I'm I'm not 100 percent on the storytelling boat per se, but it really does tell <laughs> me. It, you know, you get all the content from this graph. You know, and uh, were this to be you know on a blog post, right? Um, you could easily take this entire graph because um, it has the whole all, the whole thing with it, and you could just share that graph, and you and you get the whole story um, because you've <laughs> linked the color, you've linked the text, you've really highlighted all the all the significant pieces for people. Um, so I think that was yeah, I think I think a gem. Going
1: ahead again to thinking about how your audience is going to interact with it and making how you want them to interact with it really clear through th- some of those design choices and with the text right there on the graph. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, it's a great book. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a, a bestseller. Um, if you haven't picked it up, it's Storytelling with Data by Cole Nussbaumer and Affleck. It's uh, on sale from Wiley. I'll put the link on the website. Um, Cole, thanks for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Thanks for having me, John. I love talking about this stuff. So uh, happy to come back anytime.
0: Great. Well, um, we'll have you back then. Um, (laughs) And thanks, everyone, for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, If you have questions or comments, please uh, shoot me a note on Twitter or on the website at policyviz.com. So until next time, uh, have a good one. Bye-bye. And again, thanks to our sponsor, Juice Analytics. For 10 years, Juice Analytics has been helping clients like Aetna, the Virginia Chamber of Commerce, Notre Dame University, and U.S. News & World Report create beautiful, easy-to-understand visualizations. Be sure to learn more about Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data, at juiceanalytics.com. Also, check out their book, Data Fluency, available now on Amazon.